Hello there, this is Bernhard Karras with another episode of Be Your Own Manager, our career podcast for classical musicians. And today I'm really happy to have another really interesting guest. In a couple of minutes, Christian Ehlers will join me. Christian worked a long time for the Gewandhaus Orchestra in Leipzig before he actually opened up a performing arts space in the south of Germany, where he presented a lot of different kinds of arts, including music, not necessarily classical music. And based on his experience with one of the most renowned orchestras in the world, was opening up a new space for the arts. He actually started something in Los Angeles, of all places, a series of very special house concerts. And he will tell us all about why he did it and his concept behind it. And believe me, it is really fascinating to listen to. By the way, we just actually launched a completely overhauled hellostage.com. There you have the opportunity not only to get the links to this podcast and find also information about this podcast and the various episodes, but you find a full features of information for musicians, but also for music lovers and so on. And you have the opportunity to actually easily post your own content, which we will for you distribute over our networks, our social media networks and more. It is a completely new start for us. It was a long time how we thought about it and what we did. We hope you like it. Yes, it's a change. But have a look at it, take advantage of it, and give us your content so that you are actually out there spreading the word for classic music and for what you are doing. Now, without any further ado, I'm happy to go into the interview with Christian Ehlers. Hello, Christian. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, hi, Bernard. Um, nice to talk to you. Christian, you're doing... And you have been doing something which I'm always in awe of. You're doing house concerts in Los Angeles. How did that happen? Well, it, it, it's sort of like a, a personal project of mine, uh, really, and it has been for, for a while. I mean, my own personal background is that I'm a recently retired arts administrator, in fact, um, and my background is in classical music originally, but I sort of have been doing other things in the arts uh, and I'm therefore kind of familiar with uh, popular music and how it works. Um, and, uh, but I've always been, been intrigued by the idea of kind of uh, moving the classical format to a, to, a, to a new level, to a new place, right? And, um, and, uh, and, and personally, I have one foot in the United States, first of all, because I studied there. Secondly, my wife is from Los Angeles and... So in other words, I've been going back and forth all my, all my life. And, uh, mm -hmm. and for personal reasons, I've had to spend quite a bit of time in the U.S. over the past uh, two years. And, um, and I've started a house concert series in Los Angeles where I just know a lot of people through mm -hmm. the family of my wife and acquaintances, et cetera, et cetera, in the whole Los Angeles area, not just in Los Angeles itself, but sort of south of it, north of it, et cetera. And... Um, and what that concert series is really about, it's kind of a, a lab, kind of a performance lab for an idea that I've had. 
And that's the real project I'm about, uh, about to, to launch really uh, this fall, which is really trying to help independent musicians um, develop a career outside of the concert hall. That's the main point of it, outside of the, of, of the concert hall. And the, and the house concerts are just trying to test like a proof of concept, kind of a, a, yeah, kind of a performance concept that I've developed in the meantime. So that's what it's about. That's absolutely interesting. And I'll come back to this concept in a second. But tell yeah. us a bit more about yourself. You said you were an arts administrator. Yes. What kind of arts? What did you do? So basically, what, what, what my, my, I, was in, I was a pre-college piano student, actually, mm -hmm. for, for many, many years uh, at the Freiburg Conservatory. I, I come from the Black Forest uh, originally. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then Dole went on to study uh, international law and philosophy and, and did that in, in, in several countries, but did go back to the arts and, and, and ended up becoming an arts administrator and worked actually in the classical music industry for a while. I worked... Uh, at the Leipzig Gewandhaus, actually, for many oh, years, uh, for many years in the, in the 90s, uh, uh -huh. in the 90s, and then got the chance to kind of start a new performance venue here in the south of, uh, of Germany. Um, and that was just so intriguing, sort of an idea that I sort of went on doing this for basically almost, uh, almost 20 years. But my background is in classical music. It's the music I, I love. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, that I think I know quite a bit about, and mm -hmm. uh, and um, and uh, though I haven't been able to really do much of it in that new venue because mm -hmm. the, the venue, the profile of the venue was such that we were just pursuing other other things, and uh, and uh, yeah, so that was how it was. And uh, what things did you pursue in this new venue there? Basically, what it was, all kinds of things. We had about 180 shows a season. Uh, wow. It was, a, it was a, a place with a capacity of 400. Mm -hmm. uh, beautiful, uh, historic uh, uh, space, actually. And, and we didn't get, and that was interesting, we didn't get that many subsidies from the city or, or, or other in, institutions. Uh, That's untypical for Germany. Yeah, exactly. We got a little bit, but not that much. And that means, basically... We had to do what, what most actually venues uh, in, in this field do, namely really sort of uh, come up with sort of, let's call them innovative financial arrangements with the artists that were performing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the way it works uh, anywhere, actually, is that it's a combination uh, between the venue and the artist uh, of, of kind of a, a guarantee, more or less small, mm -hmm. that the artist gets and, uh, and the door split, right? Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. basically, in the end, sort of uh, you, you benefit, let's say, if the concert goes very well, the artist benefits, but we benefit as well, right? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, and so we've been doing this for a while, and, uh, and we were doing all kinds of different genres. So a cappella, world music, jazz, klezmer, tango, I name it, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever yeah. fit, fit that space. It was a very beautiful, yeah. very beautiful space. But for the one or other curious reasons, we didn't really have much of an audience for classical music. But, Interesting. Uh, but for all of these things, we, we did. And then mm -hmm. we have artists who basically have to, well, create their own career. Nobody's helping them, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and they themselves basically dependent in terms of money they made on, uh, well, actually the number of people that would show up. And importantly, the kind of merchandise they would sell after the mm -hmm. show, right? Mm -hmm. Since, let's say, we were a part of that uh, sort of financial equation, um, mm -hmm. It was 
my job, of course, to kind of, you know, kind of know what was going on. And so it was part of my job to kind of look at, you know, what overall ticket revenue was, what merchandise sales uh, were, what, uh, how many um, customers returned. We did a lot of like, you know, computer stuff to kind of really keep track on who returned, how many returning customers there were. Because mm -hmm. we, of course we were like working with artists over the years, you know, basically the idea oh. was they would come back every year, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's work. So once a year you have a performance in that space and your mm -hmm. fans will come to that, right? And, and it was really interesting. And then you realize that some people do well, better than others, et cetera, et cetera. And you don't quite understand what that is about, right? <laughs> and, and then I started to actually look at what, what the artists were doing and also actually talk to people in the audience at the interval, mm -hmm. after the show, et cetera. And what really crystallized very clearly, actually, that it was uh, actually not so much the quality of what they were doing. They were very good artists, whatever, but yes. there were sort of a lot of people who actually were maybe better musicians or whatever, but it was basically about the personal, emotional connection that they had with the audience, where some, when mm -hmm. people talked about those artists, it was, oh, they moved me, or there was that moment, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So to make mm -hmm. a long story short, I realized over the years, clearly on the basis of numbers i mean i'm not talking about just general you know impressions about really math numbers uh, yeah, yeah. that that, um, that it was really kind of the relationship that these mm -hmm. artists had uh, with their audience built up over years mind you mm -hmm. that really was the base of uh, of, uh, of of their success and it was also clear that when you talk to the artists themselves that they really looked at their shows basically I would say through the eyes of their audience, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea was to really create moments in the show that sort of the, the audience would kind of store away, remember, take with them, and kind of remember when it came time to come back, right? So to make mm -hmm. a long story short, that, that's basically uh, the idea. Oh. And... Um, and and so when, when when I then left that behind, and, and it was all about let's say what could how could classical music benefit from that? And as I said, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in the states, especially recently for personal reasons, and um, and uh, and and I, I got I got in touch with with a lot of people who who consult with popular musicians, mm -hmm. you know, bands, or singer songwriters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a big industry in the states with all yes, the clubs, and, and you know, everybody has to make a living. And how do you make it in a club, and etc. And kind of uh, to see how do you craft a set list? What do you do to connect with an audience? And to make a long story mm -hmm. short, what I sort of then worked on over the last year, almost let's say two years now, is kind of a kind of a blueprint for for um, for uh, independent musicians to really develop a, a performance uh, a project, right? That really connects mm -hmm. with an audience, but the premise is of course an audience outside of the concert hall. I mean, that's basically mm -hmm. what I'm looking at. It's not so much if you want to go to the, you know, to the performing arts venue, obviously you'll probably need to do other things to get in there. But my premise is that the, the main, let's call it market for classical music in the future, that at least what I believe, is going to be outside of, of of the concert hall, and it's just about to crystallize, right? And that's basically. And when you when you say outside of the concert hall, what do you mean? Is this clubs? Is this very different no, venues? No, what is it? No, I think basically it's. Uh, I think 
we first of all have to, I think, if I may just do that quickly, just look at, look at the history a little bit. I, mean, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think we are now in a period uh, where we have really a change taking place. And it kind of is it's very similar to the change that was taking place in the first half of the 19th century. And if we kind of look back until the end of the 18th century, I mean, you certainly come from a city where that was <laughs> the case, um, until the end of the 18th century, I mean, um, uh, music was mainly performed in churches, in the courts, in the salons of aristocrats, etc., etc. And of course, many musicians and composers were employed, employed there. And then basically in the course of the 19th century, you had basically the public concert evolve in, in all kinds of venues. Think of Beethoven, think of Schubert, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what's very important is that that was a gradual evolution. You see, now mm -hmm. we look back and we say it's a before and after. There was no such a thing. Even Brahms worked in a court. Even Liszt still worked in a court in Weimar. I mean, we have to kind of look at sort of those two spheres coexisted basically for a long, long time. And it was really only in the second half of the 19th century, with let's say the founding of the concert societies, with the concert halls being built, with the symphony orchestras being founded, et cetera, et cetera, that we basically get the shapes of what the modern concert life looks like, right? And so when we come back to today, I think we have a similar situation where we have basically several layers, right? Uh, mm -hmm. basically the concert halls and we have the promoters and we have the festivals and all the rest of it. But at the same time, something new is happening as was happening in Europe at the beginning of the 19th yes. century. And, and that's basically what I'm interested in. Because to make mm -hmm. me very honest, I, I partly left the Gewandhaus because as much as I really loved it and there was nothing not to love about it, we were touring, we were doing great things, etc. But I was always a little bit uncomfortable with that whole format, with the whole kind of <laughs> with the whole mindset also behind it, if I'm honest. And and so to come to a place like this here in southern Germany was like a whole new chapter, trying out new things without kind of the constraints, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right. And no, so I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the concert yeah. format, it's something which I tell people very often. The yeah. concert format, as beautiful as it is. But it's a bit outdated and it's not the only way how to present classical music in today's world. And I think we really need to think about different ways. And I'm very glad that you're bringing that up because, especially for the younger musicians, I see it as a big chance for them. Huge. I think, in fact, I think it's a huge market. If I'm really honest, I think yeah. it's a huge market. I think, in fact, we may be looking... I'm not the type to exaggerate, but uh, I think we really could be looking at a golden age for classical music, if I'm quite mm -hmm. but, uh, but to answer your question, so where is it going to happen in clubs? No. I don't believe, let's say, classical music needs attention. It needs mm -hmm. focus. It needs all the kinds of things that, let's say, modern life is not about. And I don't believe yeah. at all, actually, in kind of playing it in, in some corner in a bar or whatever. It doesn't work. It really needs the attention yeah. of, of people. I think there is, it's lying to, to people if, if, if you pretend, I think at least, if you pretend otherwise, right? But um, so I think the main market and, and the initial market for, and for that matter, for any musician, and I really mean that any musician um, is really um, house concerts. And, mm -hmm. and, from, and, and what happens, and that's what we've been doing in Los Angeles. So, so in that sense, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm talking about something that has happened, uh, not something. Yeah. Um, and I've tried out house concerts in very different places. 
So basically kind of in a, in a hipster, sort of mid-aged hipster environment in Eagle Rock, Los Angeles, like in Brentwood one, in Orange County, like in a more conservative suburban setting. Then one mm -hmm. older people, like an academic older crowd in the Thousand Oaks area. And so in other words, very, very different people, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and to try out basically one of the programs that I've uh, developed, and that worked very beautifully. And the idea is you go there, you play. It's based on donations, right? Mm -hmm. so initially, the idea is not and shouldn't be really about making money. But the idea is, first of all, gaining experience. And secondly, more importantly still, potential connections. Because one of mm -hmm. the things about classical music, and if you look into history, has always been the case, that it kind of really attracts and also in the future will attract people that are, let's call it educated, that have a career, that, mm -hmm. that do things, you know, if, if you know. Yeah. so. And, and so basically when you, when you go to a house concert and then let's say there are about 20 to 30 people, that's kind of the people we're talking, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you really move them. You really make something happen. You create moments, right? Of intensity, of... Uh, then you, you get to talk to people and then things happen, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe not so much in terms of a public concert, that too. And by the way, that is happening now uh, at the beginning of January uh, in Los Angeles, interestingly enough. But, um, but more importantly, I think the biggest market for classical music is really kind of an informal market. That's what I believe mm -hmm. the new big market for musicians is an informal market. So imagine you meet a doctor, you meet a mm -hmm. lawyer, you meet a manager, and, uh, and everybody has clients. Customer relationship mm -hmm. is the big thing for anybody. It's a big thing for mm -hmm. a lawyer, it's a big thing for a doctor, it's a big thing for anybody running a company, etc. So this idea of creating events is, is something anybody is interested in and sort of creating mm -hmm. events that are really meaningful, that et cetera, et cetera. So it's going to be a combination of, let's say, putting on an event that it's good for you, an interesting event that is not run of the mill, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and at the same time, you really support an artist. And I think basically yeah. then, <laughs> you know what, the sky is the limit because Absolutely. That, that kind of market is is infinite. I really mean it. It's absolutely infinite. And it's basically also available. And that's the, the biggest message I have is available to anybody. Because I really believe that any music graduate with a performance degree has really what it takes to have a career in their local and regional environment. Because that's the other thing we have to kind of realize that any career has to be based in your local community. I mean, the yes. idea to kind of come up with something and you're touring what? Uh, that, that doesn't fly. It doesn't work. It won't work on all kinds of fronts. It won't work on the economic front. It won't work in terms of your collaborators. It won't work, whatever. So the base of it has to be local and regional, right? And so in that kind yeah, of... Yeah, it it's this kind of idea, actually, and that you grow your local audiences and you can grow with them. And at some point, I mean, to stick with the example of Los Angeles, yeah, if you have a good enough network of, I don't know, 150 people or so in Los Angeles who really love what you're doing as a musician, 
and then two, three of them are going to New York, they might actually invite you suddenly to New York and suddenly you have your gig in New York. Yeah. So it is, but it doesn't work without that kind of home base. Yeah. Which for many musicians might be, they might actually have two home bases. One is where they're really from, and the second one, very often, where they have studied for five or 10 years or so, where they have a different network. Yeah. But you need to kind of base your career on that home base. Yeah. And that home base can't be venues. That home base can't be a chamber music series. There's no. too many in music. So the home base has to be has to be a home a house concert market and then take it from there into that what I would call the informal sphere. Because the fact is, mm -hmm. all these musicians that I talked about that I was working with, right, in mm -hmm. my venue, like the most money they made was in fact from private what's called gala events. That's mm -hmm. basically their main market. But basically companies have, let's say, a company event and they invite their their customers or they invite their employees for that matter etc and they get to perform there and that's basically where they get extremely well paid so that market already exists right for a lot of artists and i think it's just now time to kind of tap that um for classical musicians and uh, and uh, and and i'm i'm almost 100 sure that that because because the key thing is Customer relationship is extremely important for all kinds of uh, professions. And yeah, and I just heard of, uh, from, a, from a wonderful bassoonist in, out of Singapore, and um, she's doing her first album actually on our label. And this will be to a majority financed by people, by actually a couple from Singapore who love what she's doing, loving her music, and she will perform for, her, for them and their friends, and they will take. Um, a number of CDs and um, it shows again that this private network is actually working and the nice thing about is and you spoke about the doctors and, the, and yeah. the managers and the lawyers and so on is if they like you and if you are able to build a connection they will actually invite their friends they will invite and you will make a bigger and bigger group um, as your home base yeah, absolutely but the key thing is you know Bernard and that's why I will not go on. I will continue my, my Los Angeles series and maybe I'll start mm -hmm. one here in Germany. But for mm -hmm. me, it's more like a lab uh, just to see basically how programs work and how the artists do, whatever. Because I found out that, let's say, it shouldn't be an organization behind that. We want to mm -hmm. support people in terms of doing whatever they need. We're going to print their programs. We're going to do their scripts. We do whatever they need, right? Free of charge. Yeah. But they have yeah. to do it. They have to do it. And you know why? Because the, the, the hosts, whether it's a home concert or whether it's a professional thing later on, they want to connect with the artist. Mm -hmm. They don't want to connect through an organization. They want to connect with the artist. They want to support the artist. And so in that sense, it really also takes, and that's one of the things I really found, yeah, not difficult, but I've, I, I see it's a challenge that it really takes uh, what I would call and not just a new type of performance uh, that I'm 100% convinced anyway, but that's sort of maybe the, even the easy part. But what it really takes is a, is, is a new mindset on the part of, mm -hmm. of, of musicians, right? And, uh, and what, what we really musicians have to look at themselves as what I would call game changers, Bernard. 
they have to look at what are the characteristics of these game changers i can how would you describe yeah, that it's very i think it's very obvious and they're not that many uh, for, for many reasons i think for many reasons we'll talk about that later on but i i think but um it basically means that that um that these people that look at themselves as game changers they do not look to other people to fix their problems right mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. invest in their careers and they take initiative right mm-hmm. and they kind of quote unquote think new and they are mm-hmm. kind of what i would call go down new roads and one of the metaphors i've always liked simon rattle said that a few years ago and i wrote it down then and i've he's really on to something and he said that we need musicians today who do not see themselves as high priests but rather as evangelists right <laughs> no i think it really hits the spot exactly because basically what we have till today and i don't mean to really offend anybody obviously <laughs> i love the music too much for that but you know it's kind of the high priest approach right you come out you read from the bible you you disappear you know what i mean people get what they uh, so but obviously so and the evangelist does something else so basically what we need is musicians who really kind of really love their music so much that they're committed to kind of to sending it out to the world right to spread the word you know to just keep that kind of evangelist kind of message and um and that is something musicians are not really taught right no uh, and not taught no, any, not. anyway uh, because i mean they're just taught about you mean just because it's difficult enough they're taught their instrument right and uh, exactly and uh, so in that sense we must not forget what happens in conservatories is not a is not about a professional uh, development it's about an artistic education and rightly so right uh, that's what they're there for to learn an instrument and nothing else um but that of course comes at, at the end to the point where they are left in a, in a situation where they haven't been maybe taught the skills that they that they kind of uh, need so yes that's the kind of mindset and that's why i've called this thing that i'm doing future ready musicians um uh, because it's well it refers to the future but it also refers to to musicians who are future ready right who are yes. ready ready to embrace the future and and that's not maybe for everybody actually that could well be the case it may not be for everybody uh, so yeah which is okay i mean if you know it's it doesn't need to be for everybody and yes there are new challenges but i think the picture you just and when you quoted simon rattle and what came into my head is first um so simon himself i can remember at the beginning of his career when he was with the cbso with the uh city of birmingham symphony orchestra and he toured the orchestra and he built the orchestra with repertoire at that time still from the 20th century with very modern repertoire which was normally not played um anywhere else and you could not feel a concert hall with it and he was so engaged in that music that he brought it to all over the world and he toured it and i can remember a couple of concerts in vienna it was fantastic and the other one who comes into my mind is certainly because of its its 100th birthday is Danny Bernstein because he not only stood at the in front of an orchestra and conducted it but he taught he worked with youth orchestras Absolutely. he did this fantastic um tv series explaining music in very simple terms to the average people out there who haven't studied music yeah and 
to not only to explain it to them, but to make it emotional for them. And that's this emotional connection you're speaking about. So I completely agree. It needs this kind of building of the emotional connection. And the more people can learn that and leave the elitist approach to classical music, the better it is. No, and that's the thing. I mean, if I were to say what musicians really need to do is really kind of overcome the idea that there is no classical music market. Yes, the market is changing and there is no denying it. I think if, if yes. it, I think what we see today, and, and if you go to the US, is much worse still, um, because there the whole fundraising is about to collapse. That's the biggest problem there. But, uh, but here also subsidies will be more difficult. So basically the, the, the performance market we have today will get less and less. But at the same time, there is a market I'm convinced of it, right? And, uh, and the second thing is that musicians, I think, should realize for themselves is that they have everything it takes to have a career. You see, mm-hmm. I think people think, oh, I, I, I have to come up with this unreal creative uh, project and, and what could that possibly be? No, I'm convinced, and actually having done the house concerts, I know what I'm talking about, is that the traditional repertoire that any music graduate with a degree in music performance has is enough to create a good number of very, very powerful uh, programs, right? But of course, the, 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 the music has to be presented, and there's also no denying it, in a more lively and personal manner. Because classical music as is now, that you go out, you play three movements, and something else happens, is simply is too boring for a lot of people. That is a fact. But fifthly, and I think that's for me at least a very important thing, musicians have to give themselves time. I think they need time to develop this, to understand what this whole thing is about. And any business, Bernard, I mean, you're whatever you're doing, whatever, I've been working on this for two years. I never expected myself in two years to kind of be through this, right? Even Facebook and Google didn't happen overnight. It takes time. So it takes a year. It takes two years. Maybe it takes three years. But that's the kind of investment musicians have to do, just like any other person starting a business. Yeah. Absolutely. I would, what I would like to come back to is you have this formula um, for the house concerts of programming and leading people through. So what is this kind of idea, the formula you are asking your musicians to do? Helping musicians with a blueprint, and you can sort of download the brochure on our website, futureReadyMusicians.org. And it's basically a blueprint that I've um, developed that allows any musician to come up with basically a program that really works, that creates Mm -hmm. the moments, that is lively, that is personal, right? Um, and, uh, and if they have a problem with that, uh, they can send us the repertoire list and, and we'll do it for them for free. I mean, like I have a, a number of sample programs. And as I said, some of them we have been doing in Los Angeles. They work beautifully um, with all kinds of audience. And um, that, that, that musicians really have programs that are, that are lively and personal. So that's the one thing. And the second thing is to kind of develop the script because people have to have to present themselves, right? They have to say, you know what? I'm the musician here. You cannot hide behind the music stand. You are the musician and you have to connect with the audience. So some kind of talking, like it is true for any musician on any stage, the only person not talking on a stage is the classical musician. I mean, as odd as that sounds, uh, but it's the case. Not a lot of talking, obviously, 
and certainly not about historic dates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, are kind of really talking why you're doing what you're what you're doing. And in the end, you you have a performance that will definitely move people, and then you take it from there. That- Can you explain a bit more about the program? So tell us, uh, talk us through an example program where you see where you see that is fan- was a fantastic program because of this and that. Absolutely. I mean, we we have done dreams. We we give like a title to 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 all of our programs, and one mm-hmm. is called uh, uh, dreams. And actually, just to have said it, we 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 don't have yet programs for piano. And mm-hmm. part of the reason is that, of course, since the premise is to do it in homes, many homes do not have a piano or they do not yeah. have a piano that is, that is adequate, right? So to get started, um, we are sort of working with, um, with other, other instruments and we're working obviously with the string instruments, uh, with all four of them and, um, and with the flute and the oboe simply because mm-hmm. of repertoire. But it can be done with a clarinet, can be done also with a bassoon, uh, but but flute, oboe, and the strings uh, is is very easy. And one program, Dreams, for example, it consists. It starts out with with the Mozart flute quartet, mm-hmm. and it only does the first movement, right? Mm-hmm. And then it then again ends with the second and the third movement. And and Bernard, you have no idea how people love this this idea that in the end you kind of played the second and the third movement of that first piece that you started out with. And then you have basically a piece with four players. Then we mm-hmm. continued with, um, with the Bach cello suite, the C major suite, and mm-hmm. the two movements from that. So people listen to something new and to, they look at something new. It's very important to change the visuals. So they look at mm-hmm. one player. Then basically, we move basically to a transcription of the inventions for harpsichord, for flute and, uh, and violin. So you have two players and they play basically these wonderful uh, in- inventions um, by mm-hmm. Bach. And then basically we move to the, to the 20th century and we play a movement from an Isaiah um, sonata and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and where you have the connection then to, to Bach. And then from there, we move basically to a trio, string trio by Gideon Klein, who wrote mm-hmm. in uh, Theresienstadt in the concentration camp, just in fact, a few weeks before he was deported uh, to, to Auschwitz. And it's, uh, it's based actually that movement, it's, uh, it's about seven minutes long. It's based on a Moravian uh, folk tune, right? Mm-hmm. And, and before that, we actually play that song on a, mm-hmm. on a loudspeaker. And so people listen to the song that Gideon Klein had in mind when he composed. So you recognize kind of the melody. It's a variation movement. And you kind of see what he does with it. Very disturbing, uh, actually, and very, very moving. Um, and then after that, we move to, to, um, to a serenade, um, very rarely played, by the way, by Max Reger for mm-hmm. flute, violin, and viola. So you look at three people, a very different, a larghetto, and then we end up with the Mozart. And so we are talking about 50 to 52 minutes of playing time, right? And, uh, and with the talking, we were like at 60, 65 minutes, and that was the perfect length. And if mm-hmm. you see with this program, it's not dumbing down anything, because I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in that these are programs that really are, we're doing real music. You know, Mozart, Bach, Isaiah, Klein. We have other programs with Ligeti in it, with Modern, with Kodali a lot, etc. 
making it easy, about easy listening. And people don't mind. If you really provide the right context for 20th or 21st century music, uh, people are ready to listen to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in the end, you come up with a program that was lively. People listened to very different things. People looked at different things. It's very important. Mm -hmm. uh, that also, let's say, in the venue that I manage, you have no idea how much artists do to kind of always change, try to change the visuals on the stage. Mm -hmm. I would say 50% of what the audience does is look at things, if one is honest. And then the it's rest just, is... A it's part of the experience. And, um... Absolutely. And you have to cater to that. And you have exactly. to kind of what you can do, right? And, uh, and, and without really, again, compromising the quality, because I don't believe in that. So it's a combination of, let's say, very high quality standards in terms of the repertoire, obviously in terms of the playing, uh, a lot of contemporary music, and at the same time doing what you need to do, which is basically a program full of contrasts. Contrasts, I mean, in terms of style, contrast mm -hmm. in terms of what people are looking at, and also in terms of talking to people and creating kind of an emotional connection. And that's it, Bernard. It's not re re reinventing the, the wheel. It's basically making something obvious, which is, and you are, I mean, you're touching a, a couple of things which are almost sacrilegious in, in classical music. You're, uh, you're uh, playing single um, movements of pieces of work. You're putting them apart and so on. And I'm all for it. I mean, for me, 30 years ago or so, when I started hearing the Kronos Quartet, it was in Europe this revelation that there was a string quartet which worked a lot with visual effects at that time. But also, even if you looked at their CDs, their CDs are not saying, okay, that's now the string quartet number so-and-so of Schnittke and then Shostakovich and whatever. Yeah? But the whole CDs, like their concerts, they were a story. And they had movements in between and there was just one movement of that and two of that or whatever. Yeah? But it was a story created there which made it so exciting and that's kind of if i get that right yeah what you actually suggest there and what you're doing in los angeles is you're creating an evening of musical experience on the highest level absolutely which is going to more senses but which tells a story which which touches people very deeply emotionally absolutely and if you look bernard at programs that beethoven did that schubert did and i've done a lot of that kind of research Programs have evolved. People came in and left the program. People, I mean, there was so much going on. And what we are looking at in terms of, that's the one thing. And the second thing is that, you know, most people who are so basically religious about what a program should be like, they are also the ones to listen to, to classical music in the radio. And when they arrive somewhere, they'll shut off the radio, right? All <laughs> of it. Right. So basically, our listening uh, habits at home, on the radio, in the car, are very different from what we expect a, pro a concert program to be. But I don't think, and by the way, just to have said it, in Los Angeles, if we're talking about the top level musicians from the Coburn School of Music and from yes. US, this is the, the, the top, two of the top four schools in, in the US, right? And none of the musicians even had an issue with it. And secondly, not one person in any audience I had came to me and said, oh, you know, whatever. So I think that, that is basically, a, let's call it the battle of the past, right? 
Um, yeah, and I think it's important to point out what you just did before is if you look at the programs of what Beethoven, Beethoven's famous academias, yeah, or Schubert House concerts or so, yeah, how the programs there were put together, they were put together in exactly that same style. Absolutely. We just became religious um, about playing all movements of a piece of work um, in the last kind of, in the second half of the 19th century, when we started this kind of a bit religious, high priest, elitist approach to concerts. Yeah? And there's nothing bad with it. It's just making aware there are other forms as well. And sometimes these other forms, like you do in L.A., might be more engaging for audiences. Well, I can say outside, I mean, that, that I think is almost, I would say, a fact. I mean, if you want to get new audiences that, that sort of want to reach people that don't listen to classical music all the time, but are kind of open to it, right? You have to do that kind of program. Yeah. Initially, at least initially. You see, Bernard, what could happen is that you start out with this. And then you may have over time people who say, I really love Rega or I really love uh, Mozart. And then you may end up doing an all Mozart program. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it, it's a question of, of walking the walk with them, <laughs> you know, with your audience, right? Yeah, and it's not a question of either or. It's a question or it's a, it's a statement of and. Yeah, Both approaches are possible. And especially if you have audiences who haven't listened to so much music, um, this approach is fantastic. And yes, it might lead them that they then listen in, we had it in Vienna a couple of years ago, listening in two weeks to all the Beethoven string quartets, nothing else. Yeah? That might happen. For example. You also say that people, your musicians actually talk to the audience and you give them kind of on a 15 yes. minutes music program, they talk about 10 minutes and they shouldn't talk about dates or so. What are they talking about? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I can uh, for the dreams program. I, I mean, I've I've developed mm-hmm. the script, and uh, and uh, and um, my sense is that um, that that is maybe the hardest part for musicians, and maybe uh, also something one could not even maybe expect them to mm-hmm. do, because talking talking one has to be honest is difficult for a lot yes. of people, not just. I mean, talking on a stage in public to people, even if you have a family gathering, is not a pep- very popular thing <laughs> to do. And, uh, and that's part of the reason why I have uh, scripted it and why, why we will also script the stage talks for any program that anybody will submit, submit to us. And so basically to come back to the Mozart, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Dreams. He goes to Mannheim with his mother. It's the first time he's actually on a trip without his father. Um, later on, his mother dies when he's in, uh, in Paris. He falls in love in Mannheim to uh, a soprano, actually the, the, the sister of his later wife, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and, uh, and, and the, the slow movement of the flute quartet is maybe, I don't know, some people say the most beautiful flute solo ever written. I mean, it's an unbelievable, beautiful piece, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we create a connection between, let's say, this love affair. I mean, Mozart wanted to marry this mm-hmm. woman, right? Uh, that he had met in Mannheim, and he composed this quartet in Mannheim, and, and this, 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 this movement, right? And so you kind of talk about that a little bit. You talk about being on this trip alone, right? And, and, and there's also a beautiful quote from a letter to his father about the quartet. So you kind of weave, weave uh, that in, mm-hmm. right? And then you kind of go on and you talk about Bach. 
basically being in curtain and kind of basically reinventing music, right? In the Absolutely. in seventeen twenty four years, basically that he was there, uh, or maybe it was five years, but not that much longer. And uh, and basically, what kind of significance that had for me for, for him, you know? And you talk about the court life in curtain that there was a man who spent what, like 10% of his budget on music and had the best instrumentalists there. Mm. And that was kind of a fertile place for, for Bach to kind of write his music. So, so you talk about stuff like this. And then obviously you come to, to Klein. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, of course, you have enough to talk about with him being in Theresienstadt. So you talk about that camp and what the Nazis did, you know, the kind of musical culture that they created, let's say, to just uh, present it to the world, the Red Cross, etc. And then you talk about this, this piece about his knowing that he would be deported basically a few, few weeks later and he writes his last piece and basically draws on a folk tune from his home in Moravia. I mean, that's extremely moving, right? And um, so basically you, you have those themes, but you basically have three, four sentences mm -hmm. for each, not too long. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's all about creating really an emotional context for people mm -hmm. without going to dates and about sort of also, Bernard, intimating, which I think is totally wrong, intimating that audience should really be educated about classical music. Oh, I hate that. that. I mean, that's why I hate any kind of program notes or so, which you normally get, yeah? because oh. I'm not interested in... Uh, music scientific even though i studied music myself yeah into the forms and the dates and 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 i want to know the context yeah and the more emotional the context is the better it is and when i get off from that podcast the first thing i'll do is actually go back to the flute quartets of mozart and um, listen to them again yeah and and also the thing is that the most important people don't want to hear it period it's that simple because it's, uh, it's also, there's no way anybody could ever really know what needs to be known about classical music. It's a, it's a, it's a bottomless pit, right? And, uh, and so I think it makes much more sense to go in and, and, and really create information around the pieces and kind of create an emotional kind of anchor, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and then that people take it wherever they want to take it to. Yes. And maybe some say you know what this Mozart moved me or the Klein moved me and they go back they can go to YouTube they can find any information they want online but let them do it mm -hmm. let them do it on their own and don't shove it down their throat you know if I'm if I may say that no uh, absolutely it is kind of getting away from the high priest you need to know that too and I hated it when people came up to me or still come up to me and say I don't understand anything of music yeah and I say you don't need to understand anything. The only thing you need to do is open your ears and see what it does to you. Yeah, Absolutely. absolutely. And I think where we have to go, what I've always sort of jealously admired uh, and tried to learn something from it, but unfortunately there's not that much to learn from, is really how people go and, and look at exhibits in museums, mm -hmm. right? Because when you really look at that, they come in, Yes, they kind of know who the painter is, but very few people even look at the catalog, let alone buy it. They will just walk through it. They look at, at paintings. Most of the time, what, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute, the most, then they go on. So they basically stroll through, and it means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. And that kind of 
casualness connected with substance. That's kind of what we need to achieve in classical music. And then leave it to people to say, I want to find out more about this painter, about what he does or doesn't do in the same thing with, with music. And once people realize classical music is not about knowing anything, you know, I don't need to learn physics, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. I just need to listen to a piece. And you know what, like in front of a painting, I liked it. Or you know what, I didn't like it. And that's enough, exactly. right? Yeah. And I think kind of create a whole new emotional uh, situation. And what I found, because people say, people love this music. They really love it. The idea that people do not love classical music is absolutely untested. It's not true. It's people love music, classical music. You just have to present it in a new way and you must not do too much of a good thing. You must not do too little of a bad, as you know, it has to be just the right combination. And that's why programming, in my view, is so important. Thank you so much, Christian. And I will take you up actually also when I post that um, podcast, if this is okay, and tell people that they can reach out to you um, for program ideas and scripts. And um, if you get overwhelmed by that, it's my fault. And I would be actually happy for that because that means that a lot of young musicians um, are really caring about that. So it's a nonprofit. It, 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 we, we don't charge. We just want to sort of move music into the world, right? But we need musicians to do it. That's the key thing. It, the musicians are, as you say, in America, up to bat. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's that's yeah, take that baseball metaphor. Yes, they're up to that now. So yeah, thank you, Bernard. Thank you so much, Christian, for the time. It was great talking to you, and I'm looking forward to catching up. And I will send you the link to um the post and uh, everything. Okay, thank you very much. Take care, Bernard. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. It was such a pleasure to speak to Christian and I'm really grateful for his time. I hope you enjoyed this much longer podcast than usual and that you got a couple of ideas for your own career and for your next concerts from it. Don't forget actually to take him up on his word, to discuss programs and scribbles and scripts and ideas for concerts with him on our webpage hellostage.com you'll find the information to this podcast and the links to Christian's organization. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it and do come back soon. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Bernard Karras.